I think I prayed. And uh, normally I start preaching with a, with, a, with a cute story about what's gone wrong in my life. I don't have one of those this week. I got 23 verses ahead of me. Uh, and so I just want to start. Can I do that? But let me kind of give us some rails to roll on. Uh, as we're reading here in Exodus 18, the story is going to shift to uh, a homecoming or a, a, a family uh, reunion of sorts. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is going to come to town. And, uh, and he's going to hear the message of God's deliverance in Israel. It's going to change his life. He's then going to uh, return the favor to Moses after Moses encouraged him. He's going to encourage Moses in how he's doing his job as the prophet of God, as the leader of his people. And, and so we kind of get this little microcosm of what it is for us to be the church today. Now, I recognize it's been a tough year. 2020, everybody with me? A little weird. It's been kind of crazy out there, right? Uh, it's, it's still going. <laughs> it's still going. We, at least we have these little bright pockets like the Rays coming back in the ninth inning. Thank you. Uh, sorry. Yeah, but, uh, but, you know, it's been a lot of stuff. It's been a lot of things going on. And, and, and I know some of you aren't here because of those things going on. You're, you know, it's still a weird world with the pandemic going on. It's a political season. Those, those got some people up, you know, freaking out. Uh, can, can everybody look at me? Everybody look at me. We're the church of Jesus Christ. Okay, so all this stuff that's going on, let's just push it aside for a second. Everybody with me? We're on a mission from God to take his message to a world that desperately needs him and to minister to each other and to those who come in to the body of Christ so that all of us can have what we need to be a part of that message in spreading that message. So let me, it's, it's a very Baptist-y message this morning. We got a mission to spread a message and to do the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Now, with that as our rails, let's look at this story that preempts, that precedes the body of Christ coming into existence, but has so many parallels with our story as we've seen throughout the book of Exodus. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Today we're going to talk about uh, the good news, and it's going to be followed by some good advice, the message and the ministry. Here we go. Verse 1, Jethro, not the guy on Beverly Hillbillies, you've got to be a certain age. Anyway, uh, but Jethro, the priest, it introduces him first of all as the priest of Midian. That's going to come into play here in a second. Put a thumbtack or a pin on that. Thumbtack? That's an old thing. Anyway, uh, uh, but he's a priest of Midian, but he's also Moses' father-in-law. He heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel up out of Egypt. Moses, uh, who is, we think, the writer of this book, Exodus, kind of starts this part of his story by summarizing. You know, it's like uh, uh, before he starts writing all the details, he's like, hey, here's what's up. Jethro heard, and uh, he, he came. Uh, uh, we're going to find that out in a second, to hear the good news in, in greater depth. Verse 2, everybody with me? Now, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, uh, after he had sent her home. Moses apparently sent Zipporah home uh, with his sons. We're going to meet them in a second. Uh, to hang out with uh, their dad, Zipporah's dad, uh, Jethro. Now, we don't know in the Bible where that happened because it doesn't say in the Bible. Could it happen back when the plagues were beginning in Egypt because Zipporah and their sons accompanied him there? Could it happened as they were crossing the Red Sea that, you know, the, he, uh, Zipporah and the kids just went on further to visit with Jethro and Midian? I think it probably happened around the time where the fighting with Amalek started, which is what happened last chapter. I mean, if, you know, if things go crazy around here, I'm going to send Eleanor somewhere safe. So, um, and they won't. But anyway, uh, 
Uh, I don't know, they, they, but they, whatever it was, uh, they, they were hanging out with Jethro. Let me, let me just do a, a little shallow dive with Jethro. Does everybody remember him? We met him back in chapter 2, and if you know the story of Moses, Moses uh, born, <laughs> uh, put on the river Nile to just hopefully be saved by God. He gets collected by the princess of Egypt, grows up in the palace of the Egyptian pharaoh. Um, as, a, as an older man, he starts to sympathize with his people, the Israelites, who are being just pummeled as slaves in Egypt. And so he comes to the defense of one particular slave who is being just, you know, taken a task by his slave master, ends up murdering that boss, that slave boss, and uh, thought that maybe he could, you know, I don't know if he thought he'd start like a, a rebellion or something like that, but certainly the Israelites would, would you know, embrace him as their champion. They did not. Uh, and so he was a man without a country. Uh, the Israelites didn't want him. The Egyptians did. His face was plastered on the post offices of Egypt uh, as, you know, wanted for murder. And so he leaves. Where does he go? He heads out of Egypt and down to this place where we find ourselves in the story, the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula, to a place called Mount Horeb. He's hanging out there. He stumbles across some shepherds, female shepherds, as it were, seven daughters of this guy, Jethro, uh, who were being bullied by some other shepherds at, at a well. And so it's real brief, but it basically says that he comes to their defense. Mo Moses must have been in his time a specimen. Are you with me? He's like killing slave masters and beating up shepherd bullies. Anyway, uh, he endears himself to this guy, Jethro, who so much likes him. Uh, he offers his daughter's hand in marriage to him, this little girl, Zipporah. And uh, they hang out up until a bush on, catches on fire. Does everybody remember that part? And then uh, Moses comes to his dad-in-law and says, hey, man, I got to go to Egypt. Apparently, there's some people there that need to be let go. A little summary there. But now Jethro, who's disappeared through this whole time, reappears in the story. And uh, he comes up to where Moses is uh, hanging out here in the wilderness with uh, his daughter, Zipporah, and his two sons. Let's meet them. Verse 3. Everybody with me? Everybody caught up? Uh, the name of the first son <clears throat> was a guy named Gershom. We met him in chapter 2. Uh, he was born way back in the time when Moses was first in this region. And his name, like so many of the names, almost all of the names in scriptures, have, is fraught with meaning. It says uh, that Gershom means, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Uh, Moses basically named his kids for whatever was going on on that day, right? For whatever was happening in his life. And, and here he was. He certainly was on the run from Egypt where he had grown up. Uh, he was now in Midian, and he named his son after that period of his life. Uh, there's another son, which we haven't met yet. His name is Eliezer. And that name means the God of my father was my help and he delivered me from the sword of the Pharaoh. So Moses kind of has these two sons. I don't know how long after uh, Gershom was born, Eliezer was born. It doesn't really tell us. But uh, um, these two sons are kind of bookends, at least to this point, in Moses' life. Uh, he meets Zipporah and has his first son. I'm a, I'm a stranger in a foreign land. He, he has Eliezer and apparently it's around the time that uh, God is delivering Israel from Pharaoh. And so he just kind of names his two sons for what's happening in his life. Uh, just just ironically, not ironically, it's, it's totally on purpose. This also describes what's happening in the life of Israel as a country. They are in Egypt, strangers in a foreign land. This is not their home. They are there because there was a big famine back in the days of one of their forefathers, Joseph, and now they've just hung out there for 400 years and become the slaves that they are. Uh, so they're strangers in a foreign land. But as we've been studying, they have been delivered by a God who is able to deliver. Is everybody with me on this? And now they are uh, free from the tyranny of their captors. Uh, I thought that was cool. Anyway, all right. Uh, 
So, so now, as Jethro kind of nears, uh, we're going to see the process of Moses sharing the good news with his father-in-law of what's happened in the story of Israel. And we're going to see, again, parallels. This isn't teaching us, you know, uh, back in its context, how we should act as followers of Jesus Christ in our day. But there's great parallels as to how the church is meant to present its message. So let's follow along as we talk about delivering good news. Jethro, verse 5, uh, Moses' father-in-law came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, he said this, it was a text messages. They had iPhones back then. I, your father-in-law Jethro am coming to you with your wife and your two sons, um, with her. And so when Moses got the text message, when it came on his watch, he he went out to meet his father-in-law and he bowed down. It says, uh, bowed down first out of respect and honor to his father-in-law. He loved his father-in-law. Uh, and then he got, got up and he kissed him. That how you greet your father-in-law? No, you're, you're looking at me, but you're not going to tell me. Okay, anyway, um, I've never kissed my dad-in-law. I would if you wanted me to. I think he's great. Anyway, uh, um, but uh, these were all signs of his esteem, his affection for Jethro. Uh, they started walking back to where they were staying, and it says that they asked each other of their welfare. How's it been going? What's new? What's up with you? And then they headed into Moses' tent. Again, parallels are fraught here with, with how we are meant to be the givers of our message. You know what? Um, write this down if you're taking notes. If you're going to be the, the messenger that you're meant to be with the gospel, the good news that we've been given, you need to be busy tilling the soil. Let's go farmer for a second, right? I'm not a huge green thumb, but my wife and a bunch of awesome people, uh, you know, partner with members of our community and putting together this uh, community garden that's in the back here. Uh, they've, you know, raised thousands of pounds of produce uh, to feed, you know, the hungry in our community. But uh, they're the green thumbs. They know how to do this. But I know enough <laughs> to know that if you're going to plant a seed, you don't throw it on the pavement. Uh, and then you don't even throw it on the hard, pow- you know, packed land. You, you have to get a shovel or a, a, you know, a tiller. They actually make them. I know what they look like. They got the little, and, uh, and, and you, you just, you start hacking up the ground because the ground has to be prepared for the seed. You know what the Bible says uh, Christians will be known by? Anybody remember? Starts with L, sounds like Glove. Good, you got it. Love, right? They'll know that we're Christians by our love. Does, does anybody think that uh, most non-Christians think of love when they think of Christians? They think of the other political party or they think of um, the, the judgmental neighbor who wants nothing to do with them in their dirty sins and who just stands in judgment over them. I think it's an unfair characterization. I'm glad to be a part of a church that works hard at loving its neighbors, Right? But love goes way beyond just us being obedient to a commandment. Love is instrumental in preparing hearts for the seed of the good news. I uh, went to college in Chicago at a place called Moody Bible Institutes where I met Eleanor. Um, We used to hang out down on this uh, particular uh, street called Rush Street. It's where all the bars are in Chicago. And uh, on Friday night, Saturday, well, pretty much every night, uh, back in the 80s and early 90s, it was just a madhouse. No COVID, just people everywhere. And um, uh, we would go down there and just kind of hang out. We were, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. It was fun. It, we, we weren't drinking and doing all the other stuff that other people were doing, but, but it would just be kind of fun to people watch. Well, another school just south of us uh, sent its students, its Christian students, up into that same region uh, to do something entirely different. They would crawl up on mailboxes and take out megaphones and just start 
yelling at the crowds uh, about the gospel. <laughs> and, and just, you know, shaking a finger and telling everybody that they're going to hell. Hellfire, hellfire and brimstone. I mean, just, you know, scraping the paint off the wall. It was just... And, and, uh, and I remember just thinking like, whoa, cowboy, you're representing all of us here. Settle down. You know, tell someone you care. Now, one, of the, one night Eleanor was out there and, and one of these preachers went after her. And she said, no, I go to Moody. And he's like, doesn't matter. And he just kept preaching at her, you know. And I was like, wow. They're out there, man. There's, there's, there's those kinds of Christians that that's their slant. It's us against the world. It's not, everybody look at me. It's not us against the world. It's us sent to the world. We're here to love the world. Not be part of it, but to love them in it. So that in loving them, they'll be drawn to the love of their Savior, Jesus Christ. I went to seminary in Dallas, and one of my profs there, a guy named Howard Hendricks, um, was just famous for this one line. And I heard it in every class I ever took from him, because he was always preaching to future pastors. And he, he would say this to us. He'd say, listen... People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. In my experience, that's been true. And so Moses cares for his father, loves him. Uh, he's, he's built uh, into that relationship to the point where he has the right uh, to share this good news and for it to change the life uh, of the one that he's sharing it with. So it says in verse 8, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardship that had come upon them in, a, in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. So he gets to the tent. And uh, I don't know about you, but if I'm like Moses at this time, I know it's been hard. Like the children of Israel keep complaining. And they, you know, he's had some scary moments. They, he thought they were going to kill him, you know, uh, back when they didn't have water to drink at Meribah and Massa. Um, there, was, there was some tough times. But overall, I mean, can we all agree? This is some incredible stuff. He walked across the Red Sea. If you've ever had like a, a good pizza, you can't wait to tell the people you've had a good pizza when they come and visit you. Oh, you guys, I had the best pizza I've ever had. Oh, my gosh. You know, and, and Moses has walked across the Red Sea and see God not once but twice provide clean water to drink from nothing. He, he's daily picking up bread that's falling from heaven. I mean, I'm picturing Moses, you know, kind of getting a little excited about telling this story to his father-in-law Jethro as he visits him in his tent. He's, uh, again, a parallel here. He's, he's tilled the soil. He's, he's built the relationship. And now he's excitedly sharing uh, what, the story of what God has done for him, the story of God's deliverance. First of all, he's, he's telling them the whole thing. Did everybody see that? Look what it says in verse 8 again. He says, uh, he talks about all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. He, he, he told, gave them the good and the bad. But he, he told them the story of what God had done. You know, again, we're on this mission, and our mission is to share that same kind of message, the story of what God has done for us in Christ, right? And we should... You know, be like Moses, tilling the soil, preparing and, 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 and getting uh, hearts ready for, for this truth to be brought in. And then when we have the opportunity, I believe everybody uh, who, who falls, follows Jesus, doesn't matter if you've you know, been to the class or any of the classes, um, if, if you know Jesus, you should always be ready to give uh, a, 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 an account of the joy that's in you. And we've actually put 
tools on the uh, app that hopefully most of you have downloaded on your phone, the Baylife Church app. Uh, there's these little tools. One's called the, the One Verse Evangelism Tool. Uh, and it basically just shares with you how you can uh, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone just using the verse uh, in Romans verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 23 that says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and through that one verse, you could talk about, hey, before you know Jesus, you're, you, you've earned death because of your sin. But once you understand that Jesus was sent to die for your sins and take the penalty for your sins and you put your faith in Jesus, the free gift that God gives by his grace is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's, it's, it's this great tool. It's, it's right there on your phone. You should always be ready to, to use that or some other way to share the gospel. But you know, I'll, I'll just, man, almost every time I've been able to sit with someone who receives Christ, not because of me, but because God sets the appointment. Does everybody believe God sets appointments? And, 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 and I was just there. And God used that relationship and that time for this person to find their faith in Jesus Christ. You know what almost invariably happens? That person has spiritual hiccups. Here's what I mean. Yeah, I hear you, but I just don't. It's just too weird. Sounds too much like Harry Potter. I just, you know, it's just, it's kind of crazy. It's, it's, it's mythical and, and I can't, you know, put my arms around. I can't, I can't, I don't understand what you believe in. I can't see it. And you know what almost always has happened at that moment? I put down the one verse tool or whatever it is that I'm using to share the gospel. And I just said, well, can I just tell you my story? And I just start walking these people through what God has done in my life. In the ways that even as I grew up in a, in a Christian home, my heart got hardened towards God. And I, I went through a, a, a year or so of just not even believing in God and asking questions about God. And it wasn't until I got to college and a series of events that happened preceding that that I even saw God for real. And, but I, I share the story. It's like when I finally saw him, when I finally understood what I'm talking to you about, it changed my life forever. And I get a little pumped up when I talk about my story. I hope you can too. And God uses our stories if we're followers of Jesus Christ, no matter how lame it is. I grew up in a Christian home and I turned Christian. It's an amazing grace if you are included in the family of God. Does everybody get that? There's no lame testimonies. There's no lame stories. It's a miracle that God has taken someone who was dead in their trespasses and sins and given them life. And we get to share that story with people. Take them to your tent. Tell them what God has done to deliver you. Till the soil. Plant the seed. That's what Moses does. Look what happens in the life of his father-in-law. Verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord has done to Israel. And that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 10. Uh, and it says, Jethro said, blessed be the Lord, Yahweh. It's actually in capitals in most Bibles. Uh, whenever you see the capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the highest name for God. And this is what Jethro says. Jethro, who by the way, how is he introduced in verse 1? Jethro, a priest of Midian. So Jethro didn't only not believe in Yahweh, the one true God. He was an official, a leader in the worship of some other false god. We, we've, I did a deep dive on who the Midianites uh, worshipped. Some people think it was Baal, who comes into later. Some people think it was Ashtaroth, which is another god mentioned in the Old Testament. I, I learned a new one. There's an a, a, a old deity, a, a Middle Eastern deity called Druze, D-R-U-Z-E. 
Druze. Anyway, uh, but whoever it was, it wasn't Yahweh. And so this priest of Midian hears the story of God's deliverance in Israel, and he says, blessed be Yahweh, who has delivered you, Moses, out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of the Pharaoh, and has delivered not just you, but the people of Israel from under the hand of the Egyptians. Look what happens next. Now I know that who? The Lord, Yahweh, is greater than all gods, including my God, that I'm like a paid pastor for. He's greater than them all because in this affair, they, the Egyptians, have dealt arrogantly with the people and he, parenthetically implied here, dealt with them. So look what happens next, verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, didn't just say those things. He actually did what in those days was a sign of allegiance. He brought a burnt sacrifice. A burnt offering and sacrifice to God. And Aaron, uh, one of the other leaders in Israel, Moses' brother, and all the elders of Israel, they, they came to eat bread with Moses' uh, father-in-law before God. They had this like ceremonial uh, worshiping of God in this ceremonial celebration of the, if you'll allow it, the conversion of Jethro. Big party at Moses' tent. His father-in-law heard the good news and changed his life forever. And I can't tell you just the joy that it's been to watch over and over and again that happen in the lives of other people. To see uh, those who had worshipped themselves or some other God, money, power, fame, whatever, um, finally understand that there's this one God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The father of Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. There's one God. And they figure it out and it changes them forever just like it changed Jethro. Hmm. Well, before I transition to the second part of the story, let, let me ask us, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with the message? I know there's lots going on. Lots of things that we have to pay attention to and give our time to. But let's never forget that we're the body of Christ. We've been called to this mission. It's to spread this message. And so any relationship that we have, we should be prayerfully seeking to till the soil, to love someone to the point where they'll hear what we have to say about Jesus. And then when we have those opportunities, and they happen all the time, oh my, they're, they're always happening. We just have to be ready. When God opens the door, foot in, right? And then just start saying the things that he leads us to say. Start expressing the things that he, he wants that person to hear. Share his story. Share your story, what he's done in your life. And by the grace of God, we'll see people come to know him and follow him. The second part of the story after uh, the good news part is, is the good advice part. Jethro's going to return the favor, in so many words, to Moses, who has uh, you know, changed his life by telling him the story of God's deliverance. Uh, maybe uh, uh, they, it says, uh, uh, if you can go to the next, uh, verse 13, I think. Yeah, we're going to give some good advice. The next day. Oh, go back right there. The next day. It's the next day. So Jethro has given these sacrifices on behalf of God, and he's, he's changed his heart, changed his thinking. Uh, he, he's, he's no longer a priest of Midian. He's, 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 he's with Yahweh now. And uh, the next day, maybe he's waking up, and you know, he's, he's visiting his son-in-law. Maybe he thinks he's taking the weekend off. You know, maybe we could hang out, you know, you and me and Zip and the grandkids and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he's probably, but, but, but he wakes up, and Moses isn't even in the tent. 
Moses has been gone before the light comes on, you know, before the sun's come up. Because Moses, apparently, we don't hear a whole lot about this, but Moses' pattern when he's not out in front by the cloud of fire, or the cloud of, uh, uh, or the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, when he's not leading Israel to its next destination or tapping rocks so that they can drink or doing all the other stuff that he does, he apparently just hangs out in the camp all day and listens to people's complaints. Listens to their needs, helps them mediate, you know, what's going on in their lives. Um, He's a minister in that sense, not just a prophet and a leader, but he's a minister. Because look what it says, the next day Moses sat to judge the people. What that means is he's, 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 you know, adjudicating whatever's going on in their lives. And the people stood around Moses for how long? From dawn until dusk. If it's summertime, that's like 16 hours, right? That's a long time. Um. And he's just out there. Anybody had that day at work? Uh, <laughs> some of you have it every day. Anyway, uh, uh, I don't know about you. I, I like, I love people, but I love closing my door. Does anybody like doing that? And getting some stuff done? Can you imagine if you had to talk with people and solve their problems from morning? Some of you feel like you do, but from morning, because some of you are parents, but from morning until night, that's all you're doing is putting out fires. It's exhausting. Uh, and so Jethro sees this, uh, and, and, and here's what happens. When Moses' father saw all that what he was doing for the people, he said, what is this? What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit, and here's the key word in this, alone? Why, why do you sit alone and all the people stand among you from morning until evening? Why are all the problems of Israel on your shoulders? Well, Moses is going to give him the answer. He says this. He says, well, uh, because the people come to me uh, to, to inquire of God. And that's understandable. There's, there's no counseling center, you know, that they're, you know, lugging along with them as they walk through the wilderness. There's no uh, Bible that he can, you know, say, hey, read this. Moses is their agent of, from God. Everything that they hope for and want to understand about God, they're, they're going to him. He says, well, people come to me to inquire of God, and not just about God, but to actually petition God. Hey, God, what's your will for my life? Moses, ask him. It goes on and it says this, when, when they have a dispute, and it's not just the will of God that they're looking for, they're looking for earthly direction and, and the things that are going on between them. When they have a dispute between each other, when they come, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, right, wrong. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And some of you are like, well, wait a minute, I don't think those have been given yet. That's a couple chapters from now because the 10 commandments are coming in Exodus 20. And you'd be right. But there's been laws already given, you know, governing the, the collection of manna, for instance, Right? Don't take more than you need. That's a law. Now, we can assume that there's other things, you know, impressed upon these guys from the stories of the patriarchs up until now. Here's how God functions. Here's his character. And so Moses would be the chief in explaining those things to the people of Israel. Overall, just like ministers today, um, uh, he was the the go-between between people and God in helping them understand God's will and helping them understand God's word. So, uh, Jethro has some good advice for him. Let's read what that is. In verse 14, it says, When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people when you sit alone and all the people stand around you all morning? Oh, I already read that part. When you're preaching, make sure you scroll up. Okay, here we go. Verse 17. <laughs> Moses' father-in-law said this to him. Is everybody with me? Everybody with me online? Bad pastor. Moses' father-in-law said this. What are you doing? What you're doing is no good. No bueno. (laughs) 
You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. This is an interesting phrase. It's kind of a, a vague Hebrew sentence. It could mean you and like Aaron and the elders and, and some of the other leaders, the very few elders that you have hanging out with you. You guys are going to, it's too much. You're going to wear yourselves out. It could mean that. But I think it, it could also mean, and this is what I think it means, it could mean that you and those that you're serving, you're going to wear down. You're going to burn out. No one's going to be a winner in this situation. Because this whole thing is too heavy for you, for one person. You are not able to do it alone. So he gives them some great tips, some, some great standards that are not only for this age, 3,000 years ago, but you're, we're going to see them repeated in the church, uh, you know, in the New Testament as the apostles start, you know, meeting out some of the responsibilities to other layers of leadership in the church. We see it in our world today over and over again. It's, it's not a one-man show, this whole, you know, Christian thing. It's meant to be shared. And so he says this, now obey my voice, verse 19. He's going to talk to him about the, the things that, that Moses should be about. And the first thing we're going to see that Moses needs about is that he needs to pray for and lead God's people. He needs to pray for and lead God's people. Moses, this is what you need to be busying yourself with. Now obey my voice. I'll give you advice and God be with you. Maybe he says if you don't do it, I don't know. But uh, he says, this is from God. I know I'm only a day old in him, but here's what he's giving me to give to you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. If you're taking notes, write over that. Pray for people. And then you shall warn, if you're taking notes again, write over the word warn, prohibit. We're going to talk about that in a second. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws that I have for them. And then you will make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. If you're writing notes, take that word do and, and say point them in the right direction. Those three things. It's all alliteration today. Mission, message, and ministry. How about these? When you're leading, you should pray for people. You should prohibit those people from doing things that would go against God's will. And you should point them inversely to the things that would honor him. Now, there's other things that leaders do, but those should be chief amongst our, mission, our, our, our you know, purposes if we're going to follow Jesus as leaders like as he wants. Um, certainly prayer is, is huge. We don't make a, a big enough deal about it. Uh, because apart from God doing something through a leader or through a church or, or in the mission, it doesn't happen. Does everybody agree with me on that? And so we've got to go to him on behalf of each other. I, 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 uh, you know, I've, I've, I've tried in, in every life group I've been a part, to, a part of to just make sure that people know they can ask for prayer whenever they need it from me or anybody else that's in the group. So this past Wednesday when someone in our, one of my groups, uh, his wife was going through surgery, uh, he just sent the quick text and it was, and everybody stop what you're doing and let's pray right now. She's in surgery right now. And that was the best leadership thing I could do in that moment. Now go get a meal. Those are other things. Those are great things. But the most important thing I could do in that moment is to ask the living God who miraculously heals to provide for his wife in this situation. Are you with me? And so we should, in whatever role that we're leading and serving God in, be prayer warriors for those that we lead. Be praying with those that we lead. Um, just as, as your staff prays for you, as our elders pray for you guys, and they do, uh, we need to pray for each other. That's what Moses was called to do. Secondly, we need to be prohibitors of people uh, when they're choosing things that aren't of God. Uh, I counsel sometimes in my job. I find that counseling is, is pretty much just listen. Like my favorite counseling hour is when I haven't said a thing and the person gets done and he's like, oh, thanks so much. I feel so much better. I'm like, great, cool. I didn't, you know, I was just over here playing golf in my head. Anyway, uh, no, that's not true. I listen. I'm very intent. I'm very intent when I'm counseling. 
But it is great. Most of the time when you're counseling, a lot of times you just got to let a person go. They'll figure it out on their own. God and they will figure it out on their own. Is, are you with me? But there's sometimes when a person comes in and they're just like fired up. My wife, my husband, whatever, whoever they're mad at. This, this, and this, and this, and this is what I've done, and this is what I've done, and this is what I've done. And my favorite question to ask in those situations is this one. So how's that working for you? Have you ever asked that of somebody? So all that, how's that working for you? It usually is kind of like, because they, <laughs> in, in having to answer that question, I have to, have to admit, no, it's not working at all. Hence me sitting in your office, Pastor Mark. So then they'll look at me and they'll say, so, so what should I do? And my first answer, before I get to the pointing them in the direction I think God would have them go, is this one. Well, all that stuff you just explained to me that you were doing, stop doing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what should I do? No, 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 no. It's very important that you hear me right now. All that stupid stuff that you were doing to try to fix your husband, all that dumb stuff that you were doing to try to get back at her by not talking to her, all that idiotic, sinful, from the pit of hell stuff, you've got to stop doing that. Because I don't want that mixing in with the stuff that God wants you to do in any way. It's going to taint it. Do you understand? Stop it. That's the job of the leader, job of the minister. Knock it off. I don't know what's happening in everybody's specific life right now, but there are probably things in your life right now that have to stop so that you can glorify God the way he wants you to. And whatever the Holy Spirit just pops in your head, that's it. And as your pastor, I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you right now, knock it off because it's not glorifying to God. Okay, you with me? That's what leaders do. But the last thing that a leader gets to do is once those things have been purged, confessed, um, removed from the life of a follower, is to be able to point them in the directions that God wants them to go. This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. Because this is how Jesus would have you, have you go. Sometimes it's hard for people to get. My son Cooper and I uh, were in charge of taking things up and down from the attic that is over our garage. The attic hole is too small. I'm just going to tell you right now. Why did they even build it that way? Just make it big so that whatever we got to throw up there, we can fit up there. It doesn't need to be this. And I mean, what is that, right? But, you know, we're storing dinette sets and, you know, all this crazy stuff up there. And you need, like, you know, a degree in, in John, whatever. I don't know. Just, it's, so I'm down at the bottom, and I'm holding a dinette table, right? And Cooper's up at the top, and I'm trying to get him to understand. No, the leg's got to go in first, pal. And we've got to take it this way or it's never going to fit. And he's mad and I'm mad, right? And I've got, I got all the weight. And so there have been times in that process where we just drop whatever we're doing and we have a, you know, come to Jesus meeting. Here's how it's going to go. Here's how we're going to get this stuff up there. Are we in agreement? Yeah, and, and here's, I'm pointing him in the direction that things need to go. Ever felt that way as a Christian? I can't fit this stuff in my life. I'm never going to be able to get this. To, the hole's too small. You know, my, my, my world won't contain this. Okay. Be patient. Follow carefully the directions that will get you there. And, and everything will be as it's supposed to be. Hmm. It's big. All leaders, no matter what level you find yourself at, need to be those who pray for and lead them around them. But, but Jethro's point here is, is very clear. He says, listen, man, Moses, you can't do it alone. You've got to find partners who will do the same. That's what he says in verse 21. He says, moreover, once these 
standards are in place for your leadership. Share those with other people. Look for able men from all people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate bribes. That's a girl, important line. Don't find leaders who are in it for what they can get. Uh, and, and, and I want everybody in here to lead and serve as God has designed you to do so. But if you're going to do it so that you get the shine or so that you get the glory, please don't lead in our church. Did you hear me? Sometimes preachers say things and people don't hear them. Did you hear me? We need to serve God for God's sake, not ours. It's a hard thing to do sometimes because it's not like a part of you lights up when you're doing it for yourself. Wouldn't it be great if there was like a green light that went off on your forehead, or a red light, I guess it'd be red. He's doing this for himself. Like when I'm preaching, wouldn't that be awesome? But God didn't equip us with those. It's something that we have to just by integrity have. So he says, find people who are trustworthy, faithful, available, teachable. Find those who who won't do it for the wrong reasons and place these people over the the thousands and the hundreds and the fifties and the tens. We all get this. We're a part of greater organizations. If we go to jobs that have, you know, a a, a tiered structure of leadership. If you've been in the military, you know, most of you didn't serve at the behest of the general. You were somewhere down the line, right? Um, We we get this, uh, but, but in Moses' world, this hasn't been gotten yet. He's been trying to do it all himself. And I'm so grateful that it was only Moses who ever ministered on behalf of God uh, and thought that he had to do it all of himself. Isn't that great that that stopped at Moses? Is everybody picking up my sarcasm? Because even today, ministers in the church just think, well, I got to do it. If if I don't do it, it's not going to get done right. If I don't do it, it, it'll never get done. And they are robbing the body of Christ from from its design, how God intends things to happen, how people are meant to grow. Does everybody understand that your serving in the church is not just about you doing for God, it's about God doing in you, that there's things that you will learn as a servant of God, serving in particular areas, leading in particular areas, that you would never learn otherwise. Your leadership, your service in the church, your ministry to the church is God's discipling of you, not just you doing for him. Does everybody get that? Too many verses. When this happens, uh, we, we come together in many layers of leadership to work together for the sake of all. Look at what it says in verse 22. Um, uh, he says to Moses, hey, when you, when you get these leaders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, let them judge the people at all times. What he's saying there is, is don't micromanage. Let them go. Yeah, they'll screw up every once in a while, but, but, but trust them. I mean, it's the only way this is going to work. Otherwise, everybody's going to wear out. He says, every once in a while, there'll be great matters that they need to bring to you. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter, just let them decide it on their own. Figure it out. In this way, it'll be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. It all gets sorted. I looked for this in the Bible. It's not there. Many hands make for light work. Somebody heard that one? That might be Confucius, I don't know. But this is the principle that's being taught here in this scripture. Hey man, spread it out. I told you last week when we talked about Moses going up on the hill and needing to hold the staff up so that the Israelites could be winning in that war with Amalek, remember that? Remember he brought uh, Aaron and Hur up with him and that the three of them together were able to keep that. It's, it, and that taught us this principle, which is always gonna be true. Christianity is a team sport. You need people. But leadership, ministry, the body of Christ functioning as it's meant to function, it's a team sport. We all got to do our part. Because when we all do our part, it's a win, win, win. Who likes winning? Anybody like winning? 
I'm not even a Rays fan, and when I watched the replay, because it was way too late, I wasn't going to stay up to watch the game last night. Come on. But when I watched the replay of the, did anybody see it in the ninth inning? I mean, it was, it was like watching a Little League game. The Dodgers, uh, you know, threw it all over the place, and, and the Rays scored the winning run. It was awesome. Uh, but I don't even care. I mean, I love you guys, but I don't care if the Rays win. I mean, great if they do. Awesome. But, but they're not my team. I've made that very clear. Have I made that clear? <laughs> But I was excited. I love watching somebody win miraculously in the last thing. It's awesome. It was my pick-me-up this morning as I was coming in here at 5.30 or whatever it was. It was awesome, right? You know why? Because we love winning. Does anybody here like winning? I like winning. And so when God, through Jethro, provides this win-win-win, we need to pay attention. What's the win-win-win? Well, when God leads, uh, his leaders endure and people flourish, and therefore he gets the glory that he's due. Look what the last verse says. If you do this, Jethro says to Moses, God will direct you. God will do what you can't. He'll direct you, and you will be able as a leader to endure in this role. And all of these people, all these ones that you, from morning until dark, have tried to help but have been unable to help, guess what? When everybody takes a piece, when the leadership spread out, Everybody uh, goes back to their place with the peace that only God can give them. Here, look, look at me. We're almost done. Who here would like to give people peace? Anybody here would like to be the, uh, the purveyor, the initiator of peace in people's lives? Well, this, this, this one chapter kind of gives us a, a little synopsis that parallels to our, our existence in the church today. But... but the way that peace comes into people's lives is that the church fulfills its mission by bringing the message of the Prince of Peace to the people who need peace. And they receive him. And then <clears throat> the mission continues as, as the people of God invite those who have received Jesus to grow in Jesus to the point that they can be a part of the ministry of Jesus through the church. This team concept of everybody doing as God would have them do. So that the mission and the message and the ministry move forward. So here's my question for us. How are we doing in that? It's weird. 2020 is weird. But the mission is the same. The message is still the life-saving message that it is. The ministry should go forward. And here, I'll, I'll say this into the camera to everybody's out there. If you should not be out because you're in an at-risk group, don't come to church. But if you're hanging out everywhere else in the world except church because it's just easier not to be here, that's okay on some levels. But what my hope is, is that you'll understand that if you get used to that and you remove yourself from the overall ministry of the church or, or, or kind of get used to just making church about you and what's comfortable for you, then the mission will cease to move forward. So again, let me reiterate. If you're not supposed to be out and you shouldn't be here, don't be here. But if you're just messing around because it's easier to watch church in your pajamas than to be in the body of Christ or to be involved in ministry, not just on Sundays, but wherever that is. Don't forget the mission, the message, and the ministry. That's what we're about. I hope you're thirsty for that. I hope you're thirsty for the living water that flows to us from the Father so that we can be a part of what he's doing in his world. Will you stand and sing that with us as we close this morning?